For our series of the ADC's competition talks with leading experts, we have today Mike Walker, Chief Economic Advisor at the UK CMA Competition and Markets Authority. Mike Walker is also a professor at the College of Europe in Bruges and a visiting fellow at King's College London. In his already extensive career in competition policy, Mike has worked the CRA, London Economics and British Telecom before joining the CMA. Mike, always a pleasure to talk to you and I'm truly delighted to do this for the ADC's Comcast series this time. I would like to start by taking this opportunity to discuss the work of the CMA in digital advertising and in particular the market inquiry that led to the protection of the report on online platforms and digital advertising. The CMA's take on the challenges posed by the digital economy are quite clear in stating that the current tools of competition policy are insufficient to deal with digital markets and with the power of digital platforms because of all the characteristics that, that lead to self-reinforcing uh, market power. There is also a clear stance on the need to uh, a new regulatory approach to address the market power of digital giants, monitor their behavior, to ensure swift responses. And this is all very much in line with the conclusions of both the Furman and the Stigler Center reports. Now, Mike, with this backdrop, can I start by asking you to provide us a brief helicopter tour on the main findings and recommendations of the CMA report on digital advertising? Sure. First thing to say is that the report is available online. Although the full report, including all 27 annexes, is more than 1,800 pages, there's a 30-page summary. There's also a slide deck, 30-slide slide deck, that's also accessible that, that covers the main points. So what are the main points? So we look at this advertising and I think we found problems in basically five different areas. So one is around Google search. Google has a very high share of search and therefore very high share of search advertising revenues. It only really faces one competitor, Bing, and Bing has less than 10% market share. And that allows Google to be able to sell digital advertising, it seems to us, at a higher price than it otherwise would, than it would if it faced stronger competition. And it's also because the network effects in that market has a, to our mind, a position, a market position, which is very unlikely to be undermined in the near future. So that's Google search. Second, we found a problem is in open display. So this is in the way that digital adverts are sold when we're just looking at websites. When we go into a website and we see adverts on the right-hand side of the screen or the top of the screen, those are open display adverts. And the mechanism by which those adverts appear on our screen is that there's an advertiser who wants to advertise their product, and there's a publisher, the website owner, and the website owner has, has said they're absolutely happy, they're happy to have ads on their website. And then there's a whole auction process to see which ads are put on the website and what the payment is for those ads from the advertiser to the website owner. We found significant issues in that whole mechanism for auctioning those advertising spaces. And a big part of that is the fact that that auction mechanism is largely controlled. Well, Google has a very large share in all the elements of that auction mechanism. And that's had two effects. One is it's very non-transparent as to exactly how the prices are arrived at. And if you are taking part in a market and buying a product or selling a product, you want to have a good idea as to how prices are arrived at. And secondly, there seems to be significant conflicts of interest. Google seems to be acting on behalf of both the publishers and the advertisers in lots of transactions. And that seems to us to be a clear conflict of interest. And it's unlikely that Google could be acting in the best interest of both parties. We don't allow that sort of behavior in stock markets. 
you know, we had to separately through acting for the buyer and the seller. It's not clear why we should be allowing it digital advertising. Thirdly, in social media, we find that Facebook has a very high uh, market share of social media and therefore of advertising in on social media sites. And we found that Facebook has engaged in a number of behaviours to ensure that that strong position is maintained, in particular by reducing interoperability between firms and Facebook when those firms apparently start to become competitive threats. So, for instance, Twitter back in 2012 had its interoperability with Facebook degraded. Vine back in 2013, when it was bought by Twitter, then had its interoperability degraded and so on. So that concerns us because, again, there's significant network effects around social media. And so, again, we don't see Facebook's position being undermined in the near future. So those are three very standard, I think, competition concerns. The other two concerns, one is around privacy and the extent to which consumers understand what is being done with their data and consumers are given enough information to be able to make informed choices about what is done with their data. And also actually increasing concerns around GDPR using it as a shield to allow these large platforms to ensure that third parties are unable to access data which is necessary in order for them to compete with the platforms. Again, then the final problem issue we found is this issue of what's referred to as envelopment strategies, whereby both Google and Facebook, there's a large ecosystems that they have built up around their core monopolies. So Google search, core monopoly, but then there's there's Chrome and there's Android and there's all the its position in the ad tech stack and the open display advertising market. Facebook's obviously got Instagram, it's got WhatsApp, it's got Oculus. That behavior in itself means that they have products which work together, complementary products that may in one level be very good for consumers, but it definitely raises barriers to entry. And it definitely has the effect of entrenching their, their market position. And it's not new behavior. It's what Microsoft did with Internet Explorer back when it felt threatened by Netscape back in the 1990s. So it's not new behavior, but it is behavior that lead to entrenched market power. And that's a problem because in these areas, you want contestability. You want other firms to be able to compete. So what do we recommend? I'll spend 30 seconds on, on this. Well, we concluded that competition law is, is not enough. And I think you mentioned at the beginning, uh, Anna Sophia, a lot of people have concluded that. We absolutely agree with them. Competition law alone is not enough. We need some ex-ante regulation. And so we made various recommendations as to how in the UK we should set up a digital market unit, a, a, a regulator to impose some ex-ante regulation on these platforms and potentially other platforms with what we refer to as significant market status in order to get better outcomes for consumers and to allow competition to take place. And we would hope that that digital market unit, that regulator, would have the ability to impose data-related interventions, so to open up access to data, to stop the platforms being able to use data as a shield, we would hope it would be able to ensure interoperability. We would hope it would also have the power to impose separation remedies if necessary. So not necessarily going as far as breaking up the firms, but at least doing things like separating out data from other aspects of the firm so the data can become a common resource that people have access to. So for instance, with um, Google's click and query data, you know, we might decide, the regulator might decide to make that available to third parties. So those were our, for speaking, our recommendations. The key thing is though, that we can't sit around and use competition law to deal with these issues.
Thanks, Mike. Both what you have said and the report, I think, are very successful in explaining all these theories of harm, demystifying them in a, the usual lexical of composition economics. So thank you for that. And I'm going to pick up on some of the recommendations that you mentioned later on. But for now, I would like to mention that there's a lot of impressive numbers in the report regarding market shares and the share of the market that Google and Facebook capture. But there's also an impressive number that has to do with large payments of over a billion pounds made by Google to Apple and Android manufacturers in the UK so as to set Google search as a default search engine. What do you think that this tells us about the relevance of default options in digital markets? How do, can these payments or to what extent they can act as barriers to competition? And what remedies are on the table to tackle these, these problems? Okay, so I mean, you're right, Anna, it's a big number. So Google paid 1.2 billion for those default positions in 2019. What does that tell us? It tells us that being the default search provider on a device is really valuable. And so you have to think, okay, why is it really valuable? Well, I would say it's really valuable because if you are the default provider of search, then you are likely to end up being the provider on that device because consumers typically will stick with defaults. We know that from behavioral economics. We also just know that from what we see going on in this market. So Google search is the default on more than 90% of mobile devices in the UK, and it has a very high share of search on mobile devices. So that's what it tells us. Why does that matter? It matters because it makes it hard for a rival search engine, Bing, for instance, or another rival search engine that might grow up to really impose a constraint on Google and uh, become successful. What should we do about it? Well, the power of default is that consumers don't have to do anything. They just stick to the default. So how do you deal with that? Well, you, you make consumers have to make a choice. It might seem, well, that's a bit of a hassle for consumers. Well, yes, it's something they have to do, but it doesn't have to be difficult for them. So I am a great fan of choice screens. So for instance, what, what would I mean by that? I've got my new Android device. I turn it on. One of the first things I have to do is I have to make a choice as to which browser I'm going to have on, which search engine I'm going to have on. And I'm making that choice out of a number of options that are put in front of me. Now, I know that choice screens have got a bit of a bad press recently because the commission used a choice screen remedy in Google Shopping and it doesn't seem to be very successful. Okay, we can learn lessons from that. But I would also say the commission used choice screen um, with Microsoft, with browsers, and that's tremendously successful. You know, I, I don't have the exact figures to hand, but before that choice screen remedy was imposed, Microsoft had way more than 50% of browser market, you know, and within a year that had declined substantially towards, I think, at least 10%. Firefox had got up to 30%, Chrome had got up to 30%, you know, and now, well, Internet Explorer doesn't really exist, but that the market share of, of Microsoft in browsers was dramatically reduced by that choice screen. So I think choice screens can work. So there's one of the recommendations, actually, that you have on the report on the choice screens. Now, another one has to do with potential code of conduct to govern behavior of uh, platforms. Can you develop, Mike, uh, on some of the criteria that you think will be used to determine to which platforms this code would apply to? Okay, so our recommendation is that the code should apply to platforms with significant market status, which is a 
phrase that the Furman report first used when making a similar recommendation. So what does significant market status mean? Well, it definitely means the firm has a lot of market power. So it's definitely significant market power, but it, it's more than that. It's more than just a dominance framework. It seems to me it also has something to do with those firms being gateways, allowing businesses and consumers to access each other. It also has to do with those firms being at the heart of ecosystems that allows those firms very much to set the rules of the game, to set the rules on which everybody else has to compete. And so, you know, absolutely Google and Facebook, I would think both of those should be considered to have strategic market status. There's talk about other platforms in, in the Furman report. It talks also about Apple and Amazon and possibly Microsoft having strategic market status. Those, all three of those seem to me very plausible, but the jury's still out on that. That's work to be done, but we have done the work in Google and Facebook, and I would say they definitely satisfy the criterion by which we want to impose some ex-ante regulation in order to allow competition to flourish. Also in terms of remedies, and also related to the concerns and to the definition of these super powerful online platforms, you have recommendations on what the digital markets unit should do, what powers it should have, what tools it should use. And one of these has to do with access to query data in order to remove barriers to competition that shield Google from potential entrants. What kind of risks do you think this intervention may have for innovation? And do you think this is going to be effective if implemented? Okay, so I should probably just so briefly explain what that remedy would be. So what's clicking query data? This is the, the data that relates to when consumers put a search into Google and they get results, what they then click on. So that tells you something about what consumers think is a useful answer to that search query. Okay, and this is data that's really useful for allowing a search engine provider to provide a really good product that returns relevant results to a particular query. Okay, so that's what it is. So the question I think, Anna-Sophia, that you've raised is if you mandate access to that really valuable asset, that data, does that undermine firms' incentives to invest in the first place? Are we sending a signal out to firms If you have a really good product that gives you a really good competitive position, then we're not going to allow you to earn any money from it. We're going to expropriate those rents. Okay, well, you won't be surprised to know that I don't think that is the right approach. I think it's absolutely true that competition authorities or regulators should always be thinking about investment incentives. Absolutely. But they also need to be thinking about not just those investment incentives, but also about consumer harm and how long returns innovation should last. And if you think about something like Google, it looks to have a very entrenched market position. It's had that for a good few years. I think the unlikely that entrenched position is going to be undermined at any point in the near future. We have some evidence in the report as to how that market power is leading to higher prices to advertisers, which will get fed through to the prices consumers have to pay for the products. So there's clear evidence of harm. And honestly, do I think that the original Google founders sitting in their garage somewhere in California would have said, well, if this works in 20 years' time, some authority is going to regulate us. It's not worth doing. No, I really don't. Don't buy that. And yeah, I think we are in a world in which competition policy has definitely been guilty of under enforcement. And so I feel very relaxed about this sort of enforcement, even when platforms tell me that's over enforcement. 
I couldn't agree more. And I think that point with example on the initial investment by Google was quite interesting. And we have a lot of experience from that in, in electricity and telecoms. It's just the type of infrastructure there is different from the past. But anyway, okay, now moving on to our final question. There's a lot we could discuss. We, we focus more on Google, but you do a lot on Facebook as well in the report and on social media platforms. But in order to wrap up, let me just mention a few recent news on the stance taken by the Justice Department that filed a, a lawsuit against uh, Google and that accused it of holding an illegal monopoly over internet search and search advertising. There's also a lot going on in the EU uh, with a discussion in turn of the new competition tool, what scope it will have, how will it be implemented, what coverage it will have. So with this backdrop, Mike, Can you wrap up this discussion, mentioning the implications of the recent developments in the US? What should we expect forward in terms of, of developments at the EU? And how this should all play out, given that there's different agencies taking positions? What's the role that institutional cooperation, international cooperation should take in all this to make this work? Okay, well, I mean, first of all, I think it's fantastic that the DOJ has filed a suit against Google. And generally, I think it's a good thing that US authorities are beginning to become more active in this area. And of course, we know that the House Judiciary Committee has held hearings in this area. So I completely welcome this announcement from the DOJ. Does it change much in Europe? I don't think it does. I don't think we're now going to say, oh, well, the US is going to sort this problem out so we don't have to do anything. We, of course, don't know what's going to come out of the US process. But more importantly, we are just further ahead in terms of this analysis and in terms of taking action in Europe and in the US. And I think it would be absolutely wrong for us to stop now and wait for the US. Even if we were absolutely sure the US was going to come out along with a good outcome, it's going to be a few years down the line, it seems to me. So we should carry on with our work and with our regulatory initiatives. By we, I mean the UK, but also the, the EU with their new competition tool and so on. However, clearly it is important all the international agencies are talking to each other because it's clearly important that there is some sort of regulatory coherence here. You know, so we've got uh, action in the US and in Europe, we've got the ACCC being very, very active, we've got other regulators being very active. So it remains important that regulators are talking to their international counterparts. But again, I don't think that changes anything since that's what's been happening already and I think it will continue to happen. Well, thank you, Mike. And if I must just highlight what I would tell, you know, to the normal citizen, the consumer, a key takeaway that I think it illustrates very much what the CMA report does is that it tells a consumer that feels it's paying nothing for when it uses the services of search and social media. I think your report, your answers just make it clear where the money is and how valuable default options are to operators. And I, I think that tells a lot. And, and thank you so much for the, those clear answers to very current and complicated issues. It was really a pleasure to have this podcast with you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you very much.